coming up. At that point, I kind of got the bug, and I was obsessed with the case and obsessed with solving it. felt like I needed to keep pursuing this because no one else was. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. A few weeks back on our episode titled They Kept Hitting Dead Ends, I talked with WLTX reporter Alicia Niaves about an unusual double homicide in Sumter County, South Carolina. And he read up on this case and he just decided, you know what, I'm going to do my own independent investigation. He's not a PI. He's a private citizen who just took interest in this case. So he decided to read up on this case, the Sumter John and Jane Doe. After 44 years, investigators had finally identified a John and Jane Doe who were shot to death in 1976. And they did that with help from a civilian volunteer who's joining me to talk about his work on that case and others. Matt McDaniel, thanks for taking a little time away from solving mysteries to chat with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so, Matt, you refer to yourself as a victim's advocate volunteer, if I have that right? Correct. And what, what exactly do you mean by that term, victim's advocate volunteer? That means that I represent the people that are missing. There's a lot of times in cases where law enforcement and the community are looking for the victim, but no one's really advocating for the victim and putting themselves in the victim's shoes. I don't feel that there's enough focus on the victim and what they need to have done to solve the case. So I'm, I try to think as if I am the person that's missing and I want to try to do everything I can to help that person, kind of like a lawyer that represents a client. As far as ways for someone to spend their free time, working on missing and unidentified persons cases is not super common. How did you end up doing this sort of thing? What first drew you to these cases? I get that question a lot. Um, actually, I had a family member that go that went missing several years ago. So I can, you know, I can relate to the family members that have to go through those, that that horrible situation where you have a loved one that's missing and you don't know where they're at. And it basically torments you. You can't sleep, you can't eat, and you can't basically do anything else without thinking about that. So after experiencing that, and finding the family member, I realized, well, I kind of have a knack at, at, find, at, at doing this. I, uh, I filed the missing persons report with the police department, and they were very slow to react. They, I didn't think we were doing a good job, and I was always a step ahead of them. They were calling me, asking me questions about what I found, what I found and the things that I turned up. So after that, I was going to start taking a look at more cases in the South Carolina area where I'm from locally to see, you know, is there any other cases maybe that I could help with? And as I mentioned, we covered the Sumter County John and Jane Doe case a little while back that you worked on. Walk me through that case from your perspective. I know it was something that took a lot of time and and effort, right? Right. Yeah, it was actually shortly after... What I was just mentioning about having a family member that went missing, that I started working on this case. Um, I first saw the case online, and uh, I couldn't believe it that two 
two people were murdered and never identified. That's usually everyone's reaction. Like, how is that possible that, and this is, you know, back in 76, so this has been 44 years and no one's identified. This is unprecedented, really. It's always the killer that's unidentified, usually not the victim for that long of a span of time. Right. And so it was just perplexing. And, uh, there was a, and there was a lot of media attention. This was a case that really captured the nation's attention. This was on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, it was in Reader's Digest and some other publications. So people naturally think, well, why, did, why weren't they? Um, identified, and a lot of people assume that, well, they must be up from overseas or something like that, which actually I've never, I always thought that they were from the United States, and that's where, obviously, that's where they ended up being from, the United States, but once I, once I started doing some research on the case, I found a couple that had went missing in the, from the same year out of Washington State that had just recently been reported missing. After forty something years, and that was the that was Michael and Cordia McMinn out of Washington State. Their biometrics, their height, the weight, the eye color, the hair color, everything matched up. I felt like I was fairly sure this was going to be who it was at the time. I I thought this was a great lead, so I turned that lead over to the investigators of Sumter Sheriff's Department, and that's how I started my relationship with the Sheriff's Department. And sort of built from there. Um, as it turned out, after they did uh, testing, they actually uh, took the DNA from surviving family members of Cordia and Michael McMahon, entered it to NamUs, and also they had entered the uh, DNA from the skeletal remains they exhumed into NamUs. But as it turns out, it, it, it wasn't a match. So you thought you had it figured out. It didn't end up being a match, but obviously that didn't stop you. That didn't uh, deter you from continuing to try to figure this out. At that point, I kind of got the bug, and I was obsessed with the case and obsessed with solving it. And honestly, I was a little embarrassed that you know I provided this lead and it didn't turn out like the way I wanted it. So I felt like I needed to keep pursuing this um, because it. No one else was. That's what I realized. I just kind of took it upon myself to to pick up the case and run with it. And the sheriff's department let me go through the files. Let me, uh, and I, I contacted the ex coroner, Verna Moore. Verna was probably the the number one person trying to push this case forward in Sumter. She's the one that got it on Unsolved Mysteries and got it in uh, Reader's Digest and other things. She was keeping it alive in the media. So uh, after speaking with Verna and, and getting her files, after uh, going through all the other Sumter files, I started developing new leads, which led to some other interesting information as far as who I think did it, who killed the couple. And so that's something I really, I can't actually talk about as far as the specifics, but uh, there's some people that were mentioned in the past that no one really looked at closely 
that come to find out, they're, um, I, I think they're going to be the ones responsible for it. What was then sort of the last piece of this puzzle? You talk about all these different leads. What was the final piece that actually helped you figure out who these two were? And as we now know, they're uh, identified as Pamela May Buckley and James Paul Frund. Right. Um, well, the, the final piece was basically me going to the sheriff's department and saying, hey, we have, uh, we've done basically everything we can do. I've turned over every leaf I could. The McMahon lead with a couple out of Washington State, that didn't pan out. Some other leads I brought didn't pan out. But uh, I told the investigators there's a new method called genetic genealogy that's solving cases that are cold cases that are old, not necessarily this old. Um, that was a little. That was one of the big concerns is how old this case was, because uh, DNA degrades over over the years, and you know it's been 44 years. The question was, there's going to be a viable DNA sample that they can extract DNA from use for comparisons but um i explained to them the new technology and they said well if you can make this all happen that would be great and so i called dna doe project got everything arranged and uh there's a, a few bumps in the road along the way that helped kind of smooth over but you know once the dna was Extracted from the bones and sent over to DNA DNA Doe Project, and they were able to do the DNA analysis. That's where the magic happened, and that's how ultimately they were identified is through the uh, genetic genealogy. They basically found uh, family members that were related to Ham and Jim, and contacted those people. Said, you know, basically, hey. Do you have someone that's missing? We think, you know, we think we know we, we have someone over here that is a family member of yours, and we think that, you know, that they're the unidentified couple, and then they provided DNA samples to verify that. And of course, it turns out uh, DNA Day Project was correct that it was Jim and Pam. I know when I heard about this case and when I heard that they'd identified this John and Jane Doe. I was surprised to learn that it was a volunteer who helped get these answers. And then I was even more surprised when I was talking to Alicia about this case to learn that this wasn't the first time you've been credited with helping on a missing or unidentified person's case. Tell me about the Dale Hunter case that you worked on. Right. So Dale Hunter went missing in uh, 2018. Dale has dementia. Uh, from Alzheimer's. Dale Hunter, 76-year-old white male, was last seen yesterday at 11.45. He was reported uh, missing from the 1200 block here in Altamont Road, said to have suffered from dementia. Uh, This has happened before. Um, He was going to be going walking. Um, However, when he didn't return in in, uh, a reasonable amount of time, he was called in as, as missing. He went missing from his house, so everyone was concerned, obviously. Somebody with disabilities, somebody with dementia goes missing on foot from their house is very concerning. Uh, so the police 
started a search party. We called in our, our air support. We called in multiple bloodhounds. Uh, multiple search teams have came in and, and have been searching the area from yesterday afternoon um, all throughout the night. And didn't turn up anything. And this, this went on for about a week or so. Uh, it seemed like people were at least online and, and people I talked to were assuming that maybe something happened to Mr. Hunter uh, as far as either kidnapped or abducted or murdered or something like that. And my first reaction was, that's crazy. That's, um, an, old, an old man with dementia is not a, a high profile, it's not a good target for someone that's going to hold someone for ransom or it's not, it's not a, it's an older person like this is just, it's not usual. It's not very usual. You don't see it usually where someone uh, just kind of murders them for no reason like this. And I don't know. I just feel like everyone was taking a very cynical approach to trying to find Mr. Hunter based on the fact that they thought that there was some foul play involved. And I, I was convinced that he probably just simply walked into the woods and probably died of natural causes or, you know, from hypothermia or something like that, and they just were having trouble locating him. And so I decided I would just go up there to where he went missing and find him. And I went up there. Uh, it's about an hour from me where he went missing, so I had to commute a few times for the first week to, to go look for him. And then I decided, well, maybe it's easier if I just go camp up there. So I got a, a tent, went up there and camped for a week, and every morning would go out looking for him. And last day that I was up there, I had, you know, it was a Friday, and that Friday was the last day I had planned on even being up there. And then I was planning on just going home after that because uh, I'd already been up there for over a week. And... uh I pretty much searched everything else, so I figured, well, after today, after I finish searching what I search, I'm going to just call it quit. But I got I got lucky uh, and found them in a a big thicket of mountain moral. And unfortunately, he was deceased when you found him, which obviously is not the answer anyone was hoping for. But because he was found, of course, his family's able to grieve properly and have memorial service and all those sorts of things. When I spoke with Alicia Niaves about all this, she mentioned to me that you told her about a nonprofit you were looking to start called Missing Link Finder. Tell me about that and if that's still in the works. Yes, still in the works. Missing Link Finder is going to be launched by June of this year. The goal is to um, solve cold cases, the uh, missing person cases and unidentified person cases. But mostly my focus is the missing person cases. And so in the spring, I plan on going to uh, on a trip around the country to work on a few cases that I believe I can solve. And I, the one that's, I, probably, I would say that the, the highest profile case that I'm going to go look at is the Mara Murray case. She disappeared several years ago up in the uh, New Hampshire area. and. I believe it's similar to this case, Dale Hunter's case, where everyone basically jumped to conclusions and said that they think 
that something horrible happened to her as far as she got abducted or something like that and murdered. Um, I think the most likely thing um, is that she just walked into the woods and died of hypothermia or something like that. Mm. Murder is not the most common way people die. People are much, much more commonly, uh, they much more commonly die of natural causes or accidents than they do uh, by murder. So, you know, Occam's razor, uh, using that, I, I predict that some of these, some of these cases that um, I plan on looking at are going to be resolved because it just takes a little bit more searching because people assume that if a search party goes into an area and searches for somebody, they don't find them. Well, they're not there. Well, that's not the case. I proved that with Dale Hunter because they had searched the area that I had searched. And maybe all it takes in, in scenarios like that is just a fresh set of eyes. Exactly. And that's, that's what I plan on doing is going, looking at some of these cases with a fresh set of eyes and see what happens. You'll be surprised how many times these cases like this where people um, with a fresh set of eyes come and solve it almost sometimes immediately. You know, sometimes it doesn't take very long at all. It just takes uh, another, another perspective. And so that's kind of the cases I like to focus on right now is cases where someone goes missing near their car or on foot near the woods, and we have a trajectory where we could say, if I can say that I think this person is within a mile or two radius of where they went missing in the woods, I can basically grid it off and search it. And I'm training cadaver dog right now, and that's going to help me a lot in the future. Well, Matt McDaniel, I'm excited to keep following all of it. Again, the name of the nonprofit you're looking to start will be Missing Link Finder. We'll have to keep in touch as you get that going. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Reed. And thanks, as always, to you for joining us for another episode of The Daily Crime. If you're new to the podcast, we have new episodes every day, Monday through Friday. So you're going to want to make sure you hit subscribe or follow or whatever the appropriate button is in the podcast app that you use. If you're looking for more true crime, Will Johnson and I also host a weekly show for Vault Studios. It's called True Crime Chronicles. You can search for it wherever you're listening to this right now. That'll do it for today. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.